0: Welcome to the Marshall Fruit Podcast and your Weekend in IndyCar Listener Q&A episode. Cow! I haven't done a podcast in like two weeks! It's kind of crazy! I don't know if you consider the uh, Twitter Spaces hashtag racing family show to be a podcast, but just in terms of my traditional podcast, bread and butter what we do here. Brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. It's been about two weeks. And so, yes, many of you tell me to shut up and don't say you're sorry. I'm sorry. I really am. I feel like an idiot. But I've been sick. Might hear lingering bits of it in my voice. I had full Barry White get you pregnant just by listening to me voice for about eight days. And so anyways, all last week, uh, pretty nasty, severe, cold, whatever it was, is. Anyways, that uh, just made extracurricular speaking not much of an option. And so here we are, even recording later than expected. This is a Wednesday evening, and I'm still sitting in my hotel in Indianapolis. It's about 8.42 p.m. So I've been doing a morning FaceTime call with my wife, Mrs. Pruitt, Jabrell Pruitt. And she has looked at me and listened to my voice and either said, yep or nope. And it's been all nope's. And so we have moved my flight home three times now, and if all goes well, I will indeed fly home on Friday. So there you go. Uh, Just been resting as much as I can, Uh, sleeping quite a bit, taking all kinds of supplements and emergency and mucinex and this and that and the other, Uh, all good stuff here from the local CVS. So here we are. Y'all, I apologize for missing last week, uh, but hopefully this will make up for things just a tiny little thing uh, of doing our Post Indy 500 podcast. So uh, I thought I was going to tell you all kinds of things and and some little breaking things as well in my cool down lap column, which I still haven't finished because it's been a really busy week, unexpectedly so. One of the things I was going to tell you in that cool-down column was, hey, you remember about a month ago in my last silly season piece where I mentioned uh, word on the street is Alexander Rossi uh, is is said to be ready for announcement at Air McLaren SP uh, during the Detroit weekend. Uh, heard some conflicting information on that recently and then got all those conflicting things taken away, and so yes, do indeed expect the thing that I mentioned right after the Barber IndyCar event of Detroit being the timeline for Alex, Uh, we are indeed expecting that to happen, Uh, we know for sure who is controlling all of this, the timing that is, that would be Michael Andretti, and that's not said in a bad way, that's said in a, this man is the boss and he is setting things up the exact way that he wants with his soon-to-be former employee going to the team owned by his dear friend Zach, who I believe stayed with him in Indy here uh, uh, during portions of the month of May. We had our boy Kyle Kirkwood confirmed today going to Andretti Auto Sport. Hey, and I forgot to mute my laptop. That's pretty smart. Um, not only was Kyle's confirmation not unexpected we've known that was coming i think i genuinely wrote back in like october maybe um hey don't don't be very surprised uh if he's just a one-year rental and we'll be going right back to replace alexander in the 27 car so for those who listen or read or whatever it is that i poop out um none of this should be a big surprise but nonetheless Kyle's confirmation today of heading to the number 27, uh, auto nation Honda. That was something to pick out that a lot of folks spotted in the press release from Andretti auto sport, not the Napa Honda, but the auto nation Honda. Does that mean Napa is leaving altogether going with Alexander to air McLaren SP wait and see. Um, know that he's going to Andretti Autosport. They also confirmed Alexander was leaving. So knowing that Michael still has Alexander under contract, just one of those very clear things, procedural, where Michael said, nope, y'all are not getting in front of us. We will set the timeline of what is said and when. And so with Kyle's confirmation today, uh, Wednesday, again, just set all the things in motion to know that Alexander will be confirmed next. So got those fun things going on. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Was it yesterday? Uh, Yeah. Earlier yesterday on Tuesday had heard that I lot Callum I lot was not expected to be uh, allowed to drive. He has a full clean break uh, in his right wrist. He is right handed going to Detroit where turning right is required an awful lot. Uh, that was never going to be on, and learned as well that Santino Ferrucci, birthday boy, uh, would be filling in for him. So uh, Ricky, Ricardo Junco, got back to me this morning, this morning, late early afternoon, something like that. Um, Gave me a nice little quote, ran that, and then they had their press release come out, I think about 15 minutes later. So a lot of busy stuff there. A lot of other... Silly season type stuff, things going on in the background. I'll be writing about that as soon as I am able. Uh, would say the big driver on the clock right now is Felix Rosenquist, and when I spoke with Zach Brown, I think on Monday, I said, "Hey, I've heard nothing, but uh, Felix has been told that he won't be back uh, from some pretty credible sources." And Zach said, "Well, your sources are wrong," and I, I'll tell you that on the record. Um, That is not accurate. He has not been told anything regarding the future. Staying, going, anything. So I said, cool. Included that in the uh, little Alexander Rossi piece. But do I think that that ship might have sailed for Felix, unfortunately? Uh, I do. Uh, But knowing that there's an opening next year at AJ Foyt Racing, there could be one or two other opportunities with teams expanding. I don't think he'll be at a loss for some offers. Would he be a perfect McLaren formula E driver? And we'll see. Not totally sure if Felix is in the IndyCar paddock next year, but hate to lose him if he's not. So what else can I tell you? I don't know a lot of things, but why don't we do this? Uh, I still need to eat dinner and I want to get this podcast done, so I'm going to shut my gums, uh, hopefully roll in a little, remember to roll in a little bit of uh, music bed here, and let's get going with your questions. And I'm going to get through as many as I can. A good pal, Jim Kaiser, uh, he has been helping me with the assembly of questions for almost a year and a half. And Jim has just told me he has taken a new job starting here in week or two I believe and so he will need to pass the torch to someone Tim Falkowitz my pal Tim Falkowitz who was the first person to help uh, he then passed the baton to our great man Jim Kaiser and so if any of you might have an interest in a, not just assembling the questions each week but deciding whose questions get used and getting the exact right amount for the show length which is normally about an hour Jim put together about an hour and a half since this is the big race of the year, obviously the Indy 500. Uh, but yeah, if you have an interest, reach out, let me know, and we will uh, we will figure that out. Sorry about that. I'm back. Been doing a little bit of sleuthery over the last 24 hours to try and find out or confirm whether the awesome Angela Ashmore. The assistant race engineer on the number 8 Chip Ganassi Racing Honda that Marcus Erickson drove into victory lane. Whether Angela might be the first woman to win the Indianapolis 500 on the winning crew, winning team that did it. There have been a lot of amazing women who have contributed to Indy 500 wins working for a vendor that built the shocks for the car that won or did other things, but in terms of an actual wearing the fire suit, full-time employee, on the timing stand, going over the wall, part of the hardcore crew that won the race. Still have one or two more people to get back, but we've spoken to about four, four people so far with institutional knowledge, and so far we cannot find someone before Angela who was a full-fledged member of the crew to win the Indy 500. So uh, assuming that's all true, I'll certainly be writing about it. You might read about that before you listen to this, but uh, just wanting to celebrate the amazing women in our sport uh, whenever possible. And certainly after a a massive win here at the good old Indy 500. So sorry for a little delay there, but yes, we're now going to jump right in. And hey, guess what? Marcus Erickson, that win. That's going to open the show here. Marcus Munsing, you open us here You say, how big is this win for the future of Marcus Erickson's career? And what would you say is the next step for him now? Great, great question about Marcus from you, Marcus. So he signed a new multi-year deal at the end of 2021. So, He's good for a little while under this current contract, for sure, with the team. I just mentioned that some folks have wondered, hey, what's up with him contractually, and could he go here there? And I don't think he'd ever want to leave, but he is under a multi-year contract uh, that's somewhat fresh and new. I raise that point here, Marcus, because this is massive. He also has had the support, financial support, someone since he was like 15 years old. And I don't foresee that changing. If anything, though, what I would hope, and this is the big area of future for his career, anytime you have one main person responsible for sponsoring anything, There's always that worry or concern. Will they get bored at some point in time and say, hey, this has been great. We just won the biggest race in the world. How much more is there left to do? I just see this as an opportunity to strengthen Marcus's future, and I would hope, whether it is companies in his native Sweden, here in the U.S., or from wherever, that might want to get involved with that number 8 Honda, And Husky Chocolate, awesome, amazing, fantastic. But what if some other brands got involved? Uh, I am very positive that if other companies wanted to go along for the ride and write a check, that some space would be made on that car. So I think that's the, the biggest outcome that could happen here, Marcus. And I do hope that it does. Spreading the load, spreading the financial requirement, It's always something I just like to see two or three or four entities doing on an entry so that we aren't reliant on one. Best step, big step, closest step. What is that next step for Marcus? Championship. He's leaving Indianapolis, leading the championship, going to a place last year, Detroit, Detroit, where he won one of those races. Yes, we know that Will Power had some uh, electrical problems that knocked him out, but let's not forget who was sitting right behind him at the time. That was Marcus Erickson. So whether he wins this uh, single header this weekend, or he podiums or whatever it is, I just think we're going to a place where he knows he can succeed. His confidence at an all-time high. Probably still tired, though. I'm sure they've run him ragged. But uh, I would say he's in a perfect place to go for the title. And I don't know if he's going to get that. Because his teammate Alex Pillow, boy, that guy is pretty darn good. Scott Dixon's pretty darn good. Joseph Newgarden, Colton Herta, run down the list. There are a lot of folks that are, are badasses. Marcus finished sixth in the standings last year. Uh, I would say a top three, top four for him this year would be very, very possible. Uh, The double points from the Indy 500, those do amazing things for you. But it wasn't a case of Marcus being, say, second or third coming into the 500, getting the double points, and just super distancing himself from the rest of the field as a result of getting those double points. He is 13 points ahead of Pato Ward. Pato finished second in the standing. I'm sorry, second in the 500. So uh, they stayed pretty close. Pelo is, uh, what, 14 points behind Marcus? Um, Wouldn't take much. Marcus finishes third this weekend at Detroit. Pato finishes ahead. Alex is maybe ahead again. Who knows? The gap coming out of Indy is not massive for Marcus's lead. But honestly, this is going to be one of the great things to follow, one of the great trends to track as we start to get into summer here, Marcus, of, okay, you have this amazing opportunity. How much are you going to make use of it? Uh, I think we're going to be really, really surprised with how good Marcus uh, plays out the rest of the year. Is he championship caliber, though? That's the thing we're watching for. John Mylenic, how are you, John? Said Marshall's great to see, but no surprise, Ganassi won the 500. They were dominant post-Indy Grand Prix. Even better was to see Marcus truly earn the win. He used skill, experience, and bravery to hold off Pato Award and Canon in some respects. How much credit is due to the engineer and the strategist as Erickson's race pace reminded me of a Rick Mears or Unser Senior victory? Uh, from say strategy, years gone by. You also say prayers continue for my wife's health. Thank you, John. I'll tell you this: Marcus was there, thereabouts all day. Um, from a strategery standpoint, I don't know if I saw anything that made me say that was the the pivot point. But I would say the car was fast and capable. All day long. And when his two teammates in Pello and then Dixon uh, had their issues, he's in a perfect place to capitalize. Uh, the Air McLaren SP folks were also very quick. Pato very quick. But yeah, uh, that number eight Honda just had a little bit more. So, I mean, I know one thing that they worked on massively was on mechanical grip. all the ganassi cars Uh, just something that as you get towards the end of a run the better and finer the mechanical setup is Uh, not having to rely on downforce to really make the car work and make the tires work but actual good smooth clean mechanical suspension functioning to take care of the tires but also provide exceptional grip i know that's one area that they over, over concentrated on, but to their benefit. And so on top of, I think Honda having a pretty good kind of scramble mode to get some extra power, uh, to use as desired, they aced it. So race engineer, Brad Goldberg, assistant engineer, Angela Ashmore, uh, my guy, Michael Gares, race strategist. I mean, everybody, uh, Dave Pena new crew chief this year, uh, and that pit crew acing pit stops as well. You run down the line and it's, it's everybody. So yeah. Um, there is a bit of an old school thing about Erickson. There's just something smooth that makes sense. Uh, except for the weaving and that's coming up next. Uh, Douglas Thompson says, good to meet you yesterday. Marshall's happy for Marcus. Did have a question about the leaders' maneuvers, which have been come to know amusingly as the Dragon. It doesn't seem particularly sportsmanlike. Is there anything that could be done to discourage it? Talking about that weaving in the final laps, something that Simon Pagano really, uh, trend that he started in 2019, Marcus just took to new crazy levels. It, there can absolutely be something done about it, and I really hope that IndyCar will. So Marcus did nothing wrong technically as long as he was not moving in reaction to Pato, everything he did, his choice, his tracking places, car, wherever he wants. Um, but truly the crazy weaving back and forth. Pato did mention like it had the potential for being very dangerous because if he decided to swing super hard, right. And I decided to not follow him and to stay in my lane and have him come swinging all the way back thinking I wouldn't be there, like, that's bad. Um, I mean, granted, it discouraged Pato from trying, but I don't know if the danger of being hit or the person in front of you at 235 miles an hour not knowing that you actually haven't gone with him and, and are maybe there in his wheel tracks if he comes back, I think that's a little too much. So, yeah, I would hope IndyCar would say, look, If you're coming out of turn two and you decide to go low, low it is uh, until you get to turn three. And if you come out of turn four and you decide to stay high, high it is. Uh, But this just sawing at the steering wheel back and forth to try and break the arrow toe, but also as we learned, uh, Doug, uh, possibly to put some fear in the person behind you, not even wanting to try to get alongside uh, I think that's that's a little bit too far from my comfort zone. Uh, Gustav Alcrona, how you doing, Gustav? He uh, says, "IndyCar fan since 2019, and an avid listener to the podcast since then." Say, when Rosenquist and Ericsson joined, do you think Eriksson? Did you think Ericsson could uh, charge for the championship and win it this year? This is, uh, still getting goosebumps when rewatching the final 25 laps. I do think Marcus could. I do think Marcus would need to continue to find elements within himself, new levels of talent to make that happen. Just wrote a story. Don't know if it's gone up by the time you might be listening to this about how Marcus, cover your ears, but Marcus has just been shit on for so many years as a second rate talent, as a ride buyer, as all these things. What he's done over the last two, I mean, this is now his third year at Ganassi, but really, we started to see the effects of it last season. This guy has reformed himself, reshaped himself, broken any mold of what folks thought he was capable of, that, oh, he's just a hack who couldn't cut it in Formula One and all this nonsense. Folks don't. I shouldn't say folks, what some folks, the ones who love being experts and super critical uh, like to hold on to is whatever the image was of somebody when they didn't do well in a big league series or sport, never let them go. Never let them be anything other than that person. You're always the person who was a bust or was you know, terrible results driving for, okay, it was a terrible team, but who cares? You drove it, so therefore you uh, get this label hung on you as, as a retread, washed up, you name it. What Marcus has done in the last few years at Ganassi specifically is become a new person, become a new driver, find the perfect home where he could flourish and grow and get better in every area because he has Scott Dixon and Alex Pillow and Jimmy Johnson and, 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 and and Tony Kanaan and Dario Franchitti and Mike Hull and Brad Goldberg and run down the list of all the folks who have poured their time and energy into him. He's also given a lot back to them as well. Another underreported item, but, This is a guy who Brad refers to as the sponge. This guy soaks it all up. That's another big Ganassi culture thing. Dario, when he got there, was already an Indy 500 winner, IndyCar champion. And yeah, he schooled Dixon. He definitely did, but he also learned from Dixon, got better from working with Dixon. Dixon talks about working with Dan Weldon. When Weldon showed up, Dixon was already a champion, et cetera, et cetera. Our boy, Danny, he shows up and Dixon goes to school, adds all kinds of things, ovals specifically that he didn't know. And all of a sudden he levels up. Like that's the Ganassi thing is people leveling up. So I appreciate you asking this, Gustav, because all Marcus Erickson has done since he got to Ganassi is level up. Won two races last year. Has been fast as heck this year. Had a little bit of adversity. Some of it of his making, not all of it of his though. And has now won the biggest open wheel race in the world. Um, All the guy has done is show us that he has another level and another level. To become a champion though, he's going to need to show more levels. Because those around him vying for this championship, they got nothing that they need to level up to. They're already there, championship caliber and ready to go. Uh, Fraz, C, you say, what tipple of choice was Marcus drinking to celebrate and which other drivers joined him on said spree? I don't know how much fun he had. From what I heard, he didn't go too wild just knowing that he had to get up at 6 a.m., So I do know that he went to bed around, I think three 30 or whatever. Uh, Honestly, he was busy enough and looked worn out enough that I just didn't want to press. And he's always been so kind, been so accommodating with us here, been on the show many, many times. Um, just, he's always a good guy, always in, always ready to help. And I probably should have asked and pressed here, but knowing that uh the guy was a little bit worn out, uh I didn't want to be someone else uh taking his time. So, I'll find out though. Uh let's see, Neil McCracken. MP. It's the spoiler adjustment. We're going to call that a wing, by the way. Neil, spoilers are uh Things on the back of like 1970s vans. So we have actual wings, wing elements. So just a little note there. Uh, The wing adjustment was made by Ganassi and described as missing from Pato's car. Is this a decision that has a downside? Say not being a race engineer, I don't know what goes into deciding whether to add downforce on race day. Any info would be awesome. Of course, Neil. So yeah, uh, walking on the grid before the race, I happened to notice and also had a race engineer pointed out as well that the majority of the Hondas were using the wider rear wing gurney flap and the majority of the Chevys were using the narrower version. Now again, there's plenty of exceptions. Wasn't everybody doing this, but in the Ganassi Honda versus uh, McLaren Chevy debate here. There was an effort for sure by using the shorter span rear wing gurney to try and run less downforce, make the car slipperier, cut through the air faster, achieve higher top speed. Going to the wider rear wing gurney, as many of the Honda teams did, including Marcus, uh, that was a decision to add a little bit of rear wing downforce, rear downforce to the car. And this is certainly a tactic. Uh, Lesser rear downforce, as I mentioned. Faster in a straight line, potentially coming out of some corners, uh, maybe earlier into a stint on fresher tires might be something that while those tires are still fresh you could use that to your advantage and blow by the car in front of you opposite mindset with the hondas Uh, and marcus again in this instance of hey let's run a little bit more we're not talking crazy amounts but a little bit more rear downforce that is going to not only keep the rear of the car more settled but also take better care of the rear tires and this mindset being okay maybe we're giving up a tiny bit in a straight line but over the full length of a stint 30-ish laps whatever the and whatever it might end up being this is something where this choice to not be the the fastest bullet but to be the most consistent this is something that is probably going to be of benefit so Pato after the race as well said, Hey, we went for a lower down force strategy and didn't really pay off. And as you saw with, uh, Pato chasing Marcus in particular, you know, there are moments where he got close. There's moments where, you know, he got by I believe. So let me take a look at the lap chart here just to make totally sure. I think so. Uh, if I'm wrong, uh, well, you know, it's me. Um, this was something where thinking longer term, longer strategy, uh, I would have opted for the higher downforce as well. Um, there's one other component to this as well, Neil, and that is horsepower. So speaking with some of the Honda teams based on Chevy's performance leading up to Indy boy, they are kicking a lot of butt. And I know that many of the Honda teams were expecting Chevy to unleash uh, hell on them at the Speedway, and it never materialized. Never. And so, I don't know how much of a power advantage the Honda's had, but sometimes when you know you have a few extra ponies at your disposal, you'll see teams throw some extra downforce on the car because they know they can do that without giving up straight-line performance and overall lap speed performance. So it's kind of a diabolical thing, Neil, where if you are the manufacturer that doesn't have the same amount of down, uh, I'm sorry, just as much horsepower, you see teams often opting for a lower downforce setup in the race to try and compensate. If uh, the motor, whatever year it might be, if it's a Chevy year or a Honda year, whatever, If it's not making the same steam getting to the end of the straight as the other one, the only thing you can do is take some downforce off to compensate, but that then starts to chew up tires a little bit faster and means that, yeah, while you might be a rocket early in a stint towards the end, you're going to be a bit exposed and prone. And if you're the one with the extra power, you can throw on that extra downforce, keep the tires in a happier place for a longer period, your driver a little bit happier in traffic, being able to do whatever they want. Um, I think that's a part of what we saw play out here too. Let me take another sip of water. Uh, big thanks by the way, to the Prue Day the listener group that formed around the show. Had a really cool meetup uh, during the Indy GP. And then again, race morning and got to meet a lot of people in person for the first time, Matt Philpot, truly one of the world's sweetest people. Um, Ryan Terpstra as well, awesome to meet him. I think Ryan and I probably communicate at least once a day, if not more. Um, Morell's just amazing people. Um, tall people, short people, wide people, narrow people. Um, John Hollinger is great to see you and your wife as well, and on and on and on and on and on. Lance Snyder, my Minister of Mirth, and just just awesome. Seriously, so awesome to see so many of you. And uh really that was a very special thing uh to do that. So I guess keeping in mind that my last time at the Indy 500, the Prue Day didn't exist. So uh and if you want to join them, they do have an email address, Rocks at gmail.com, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S at gmail.com and they just love racing, and they talk about it, and they talk about silly things. And it's a group of men and women who love racing and are about the most awesome folks I can think of. So uh, pruderocks at gmail.com. Send them an email. Say, hey, want to join? And they will do just that for you. Uh, Robert Polisek. How you doing, Robert? He's MP. Thanks for the incredible coverage all month long. That's sweet of you, man. Um, really is. Say outside of Marcus, scrolling back up, who would be your pick for the most impressive drive of the Indy Five Hundred? I'd say Pello and Rossi for sure. Just passing this screen era era, not easy. And to know that Alex fell to thirtieth and drove his way up to ninth, uh, wasn't a big caution aided thing where he made up a bunch of spots because of yellows or, I mean, he truly drove his behind off to get there. Uh, Rossi as well, going from what, like P 20 to P five. I don't know why some folks love to slander Uh, Alexander. Sorry. I don't know why I'm rhyming all of a sudden, but we're so quick to kick people when they're down and having a bad time. And Alexander's had a rough couple of years, but like the guy who just charged from way in the back to way towards the front, it's the same guy who was being sung praise. His praises were being sung nonstop beforehand. So yeah, just stoked for him. To see him do things. And again, I know fifth is not something that he would get excited about. That's not how he's wired, nor should he be. But a guy just in his element, driving forward, uh, saving a bad month for his team. Um, I'd say those two really, really stood out to me as being super impressive. Uh, Maddie McDonald. How you doing, Maddie? Says, uh, I for one love that they red flagged the uh, end of the race to save a green finish. I don't buy the slippery slope argument that this leads to NASCAR, and I dare say Formula E type foolishness. Uh, even the argument that it's quote not pure racing seems silly. Yellow flag rules have changed considerably since 1911. I should have you do the mailbag for me each week, Maddie. This is you're making way too much sense. Uh, which era, folks, are you referring to as pure? Says um, betting there were decades where a crash and turn to. The car slides well off track, uh, wouldn't have brought out a yellow at all. So it seems like that would be more pure than throwing a yellow. eh? So that's just silliness. What do you think? I'm in total agreement. Uh, my mind always goes towards what can we give those who showed up, those who tuned in, what can we give them? to reward their effort and commitment. If we're talking about a motor race and a big one like the Indy 500, good Lord, Uh, the crash didn't happen on the last lap. It happened a few laps before the last lap, enough so that Kyle Novak said, you know what? We could either fart around behind the pace car for the next four or five laps and just end this under yellow, or, which I think would have led to huge groans, huge, like, oh, like I think folks would have been pissed or get red flag, the thing, get it cleaned up and get us back in time to get at least two green flag laps. And so I appreciate that folks paid to see a motor race and to see a motor race settled if possible, naturally under a green flag and then a checkered flag. Um, I realize that ending under a yellow flag is also natural. That does happen. I mean, hell, it did happen this year. But I appreciate Kyle's focus on saying, you know what? The timing of this crash does actually afford us the opportunity to stop the show, get it cleaned up, and finish while racing. I'm always going to vote for that if that's possible. Um, for those who just say, Hey, it was, so what it was a crash finishing under, under yellow. I don't know. I don't know what it is that makes folks so angry about this, but I can tell you, I have received a lot of folks and their emails, letters, DMS or whatever, who are very mad that, uh, we went red and that just as I think folks, many folks would have been grumpy if we ended under yellow, Uh, The red, I do know, for whatever percentage. I think it's a smaller percentage for sure. I really didn't like that. So uh, I'm all for it. So for those who hate it, uh, I guess I'm part of the problem. Um, Nathan DeRover says the last time the 500 was red flagged to get a green finish, it was at least plausible because the crash broke the safety barrier. This year it was purely for entertainment purposes. I feel like this is the first real decision First decision of many decisions that eventually lead to unlimited green-white-checker finishes, stage breaks, and competition cautions. Someone, please stop this nonsense now. IndyCar is by no means pure racing, but it can't go full NASCAR. Totally agree, Nathan. Nor did it go full NASCAR. Um, the whole this is a this red flag is a gateway drug, and next thing you know, IndyCar is going to be hooked on meth or ketamine, or whatever else. Like, yeah, I don't really buy that argument. Um, the folks running the series in race control are the same who have run it for many years. This is not a tool that is frequently brought out. So we have history as a guide. We can say that while this is always available to Kyle Novak, he does not seem to be one that says, Ah! throw it, throw it, throw it, um, at every opportunity. So I would say de-escalate, my friend. I don't see that we're in the danger zone here in any regards whatsoever. If the same scenario happens next year and the same crash happens on the same lap, I hope he throws the red flag. Uh, This was purely for entertainment purposes. I don't think I'm breaking the fourth wall here. All of this stuff is purely for entertainment purposes. There is absolutely nothing about IndyCar racing, football, basketball, or anything else that is of the least bit of value. We call it sports. I get that. It is competition. I get that. But none of this stuff is real. Like, it's all done to amuse ourselves and to cheer and pick sides and root for whatever. And this is my team and that's your team and we're going to kick your butt. Like None of this stuff is, like, really that serious to me. Uh, This is not government and setting policy and all the other things where I at least would consider that's real. Don't don't kind of freeball it here uh, as we're getting close to the finish line. This... 325,000 people showed up, almost completely packed the place. Huge celebration of the Indy coming back to life, full strength, full everything, open doors, let's celebrate us. Um, the way race control decided to finish the event, I thought fell perfectly in line with that. I cannot see green, white, checkers, or any of that nonsense coming because they've had opportunities to do that before and absolutely have not. Uh, Ricky Zagata, MP, just want to give a big shout-out to the women engineers who helped the top three finishers. But that's awesome of you, Ricky. Thank you for sending that in. I also want to give massive shout-outs and props to all the women on pit lane. And whew, I don't know what the count is, but it's getting to be a bigger number, and it's amazing and just the amount of women that I saw on Pit crews is more than I've ever seen in my life ever 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 ever, ever ever and it is so awesome um was talking to my friend Brad Goldberg today, and he and I both agree that since the world's pretty much... men and women, and we work in a sport where truly gender is of, uh, there's no reason for there to be anything other than pit lane filled with 50-50 men and women. Man, wouldn't it be awesome if we got to that perfect reflection of the world around us on pit lane as well. So uh, I hope the numbers continue to grow, and I'm so thankful for all the women uh, who are not only here, but encourage other women and are inspiring other women to join IndyCar or IMSA or wherever this is, uh, this is an awesome thing and it's real and it's happening and it's making us better. Uh, John Richter, your opinion and the opinion of others in pit lane, how close were the Chevys and Hondas this year? Um, you know, the Honda's in trouble post-Indy 500 on dry tracks as they were before Indy. Ah. We're going to find out this weekend, John. Um, would say that Colton Herda driving a Honda-powered entry was on pole at Long Beach, and it was dry. So uh, the last street course we went to, uh, Honda had something. So, yeah. I don't know if they're going to be in trouble, but I am absolutely watching to see where this plays out because I don't know if Honda's caught up. I don't know if Chevy's falling back. I don't know if Chevy's got something extra. I don't know. But Detroit and Road America are going to tell us everything we need to know on this topic for the rest of the year. So I honestly cannot wait to see because it's going to set big trends that I'm going to be tracking for the rest of the year. I uh, already spoke a little bit about the uh, Chevy and Honda. Uh, indie thing. So yeah. Uh, I think to the surprise of everybody. Including Chevy. The Hondas were just rockets. Uh, Mitsuki Matsura. How you doing Mitsuki? Says hello marshall Says Zach Brown said great job. Referring to his driver's performance. Do you think Felix Rosenqvist's future with the team is secured now? Or does he still need to prove more? And then you say something kind about all the work uh, that we did during the month of May. Covered this off a little bit, but did want to answer it a little bit more directly. The feel. Feel is a non-technical thing, non-specific thing. The feeling was standing there on pit lane, uh, watching Felix climb out of the car after the 500. Uh, And what did he do, by the way? Because he is truly just a class guy didn't go and hug family member or this or that, or, you know, high five himself. He went around, went around to every single crew member and either dapped him up or gave him a big hug. I mean, really, um, this was just celebrating with, uh, the men and women on his car first. And I loved seeing that. Um, I think barring a win at Indy, I think Felix's fate is sealed and has been sealed. So, yeah, I, I think there was a massive question mark as to whether he would be retained before the season began within the team and having gotten to and through the biggest race of the year without a win. Um, I fear that's going to be uh, something that has just, Set the course. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Jeremiah Morrell says, Speaking for the very bummed uh, Prude members, is there anything Alex Pillow could have done differently to not get burned on the closed pit penalty? Was it just bad luck at the wrong moment? Um, you will know, say thanks for meeting up. Like, just a little FYI, it's silly for you to say thank you to me for meeting up with y'all. It's the exact opposite of like people want to meet with me before the race that blows my mind um so i'm just in eternal debt to all of y'all uh there's nothing alex could have done wrong i bet i'm sorry differently uh he did nothing wrong this was just the universe, Cosmos, uh, Thanos, I don't know. Someone's saying, it's not your time, Alex. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, without that, I think the Prue Day is celebrating its first member as a uh, Indy 500 winner. So, oh, that kid, wow. But that's, a th- I mean, he and I had a pretty long call a couple days ago did a little story from it but also just other than that was just mentioning to him like look I know how bummed out you are but the fact that you have figured this place out I mean, he figured it out last year in his second go-round but the fact that you figured this out while at 24 years old uh you're I told him you're first of all you're my pick for next year's race and I know it sucks but uh, you in this place have some sort of special connection that I rarely see with a driver, especially one as young as you. Um, 2022 won't be the final chapter in your story here. So, yeah, oh, feel for the kid. But that's it's the same thing we have every year, though, right, Jeremiah? There's always one or two drivers where you're like, oh, w- what, what did the universe... Decide you'd done wrong and needed to punish you uh, on Sunday, Memorial Day weekend. So, but he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Uh, Kevin Hoffman said, earlier in the race, we heard Alex Pillow's team talking about telemetry issues. Then later in the race, Buddy Rice mentioned the same thing, uh, then followed it up with Like Everyone Else Is. So is there some kind of widespread telemetry issue? Just curious. Also says, congrats to Erickson Scholl. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I should have. Read your question sooner, Kev, and gotten an answer. But uh, if Buddy, who is with the Duran Reinbold team, was saying like everyone else is, I'd trust the guy. Uh, Let's see, Zach Dean. I know some drivers have wondered whether or not the new track surface made a speed difference as well as a difference in the racing. After Long Beach and the 500, I think a new surface means great things. What do you think, MP? Are you getting excited for Laguna Seca's new track resurfacing? What a five hundred! Uh, let's see. So, standing on the grid with Michael Shank, and he was telling me how worried he was for the temperature, ambient temperature rising, and sun beating down on the track. Uh, and looked down, and he and I looked down, and he was taking his foot and kind of working it in and showing me how squishy the new track sealer. Was and how as that stuff gets hot, yeah, it turns into a little bit of uh surfing motion for the the tires to run over, and so yeah, i mean the the sealant I couldn't find a single driver or engineer all month act to say it was awesome, we loved it, uh, if anything, I think folks hope that it just burns away or magically disappears, so um Yeah, so there's that part. As for Laguna, I am. And it's because I hope there will be more grip offline for folks to try passing in places where they often don't. Uh, As much as I love one of my two home tracks, that being Laguna, uh, the racing there is often processional, where very few passes take place, and it becomes a bit of a one-groove road course and that's never good so i hope a new track surface will indeed open up some passing opportunities in ways that really we only get if we're just talking IndyCar when we have a situation like last year with romad Grosjean, who was on fresh reds and i think everyone else was on somewhat tired uh primaries and other than that kind of grip mismatch from the tires that was about the only time you get to see some pretty cool passing going on uh, let's see. Michael Steenblick. How you doing, brother? MP. Been a while that I asked a question, but I do listen every week. Thanks, Michael. Says, I hope all is well with the clan at home. Me too. I haven't seen my wife for like three weeks now. Or the cats. So hopefully they remember me and or don't attack me. Uh, he says, my question pertains to Team Penske. What's up with this team at Indy? They seem like no shows for three years now. Yeah, same thing. Um, I'm not totally sure where they have gone wrong. They wouldn't tell me if if I asked. The only thing that I can mention here is just a parallel, Michael, and that is Chip Ganassi went 10 years between 8,500 wins, and there were a couple of years in a row where they weren't, super competitive and they tried just as hard as any of the other big teams spent just as much money as the big teams on Indy 500 arrow and mechanical R and D and missed the mark and got a bit lost and they have found their way back, obviously, but I would, I would probably put that more as a scenario here with Penske than anything else. Ray Hall and lanigan racing is often pretty darn good at the Indianapolis 500. Won it just, what, two years ago with, uh, with Taku? They were the absence of good this year. They're terrible. The whole time. And it's not because they're bad people or they forgot how to drive or forgot how to engineer or forgot how to do anything. <sighs> missed the mark completely. And Dreddy Autosport, for the most part, missed the mark. Um, I think this maybe highlights Michael talking about Penske, talking about Ganassi. You can be in, you can be out and you try your behind off and you might not get there. Sometimes it means changing some people around, bringing on some new people, going away from the way you've done it, whatever it might be and seeing if going the opposite direction works. I mean, one of the comments that I heard from a few people about Penske in particular was, Ooh, three years in a row, not really having much for the 500. Uh, I bet, I bet things are going to look a little different when we come back, uh, next year. And when we go racing at the Indy 500, I don't know if all the people in the positions they're in are going to be either in the same position, uh, or moved around somewhere else or have someone new in that role. So, kind of the thing, right? If you keep doing it the same way you've been doing it and you don't get the results, you've got to stop doing it that way. Sometimes that means the people get changed as well. Let's go to Ed Joris. says, Tell me why I'm wrong. Oh, I love these. I don't love it when people do that, but that's okay, Ed. Good to meet you, by the way. Uh, the dominance of Ganassi and the drop of Penske and Andretti in the series and the 500 are related to the introduction of the Aero Screen in 2020. Ganassi understood it on day one. Penske and Andretti are still coming to grips with it. Well, I'd completely agree with you, uh, from a championship standpoint. Uh, but you're talking about the Indy 500. So in 2020, Chip Ganassi racing did not win the Indy 500 in 2021. Chip Ganassi racing did not win the Indy 500. So yeah, those are things for sure. Um, an Andretti affiliated car won the Indy 500 last year. And the year before that, a completely unaffiliated <laughs> Andretti and Penske car won the race. So, yeah, uh, it's not as if Ganassi's been bad throughout the whole Aeroscreen era. Dixie was obviously on pole last year as well. But, yeah, this is the first year in a long, long time at Indy where it was, oh boy, uh, honestly, since Dario was driving, this is the last time where. It's been made evident very early on, Ed, that Ganassi had the goods. So, yeah. Um, I hear what you're trying to say, but I don't agree. Um, all right. I'm going to do what I do every now and then and go to the very end, the last question, and just scroll up. And let's see how much farther we get. Ben Cohen. Say, MP, no question. Just want to say thank you for taking time to meet up with so many of us Prude members uh, over the month. It was great seeing you back at the track. Hope to see you at another race this year and continued strength and positivity to you and Chabrel. Oh, Ben, that's really sweet of you. So, a little secret time here. I have been doing this long enough so that there's not a ton that's really, truly new. Uh, Fun exciting something in those in that general area of like hey go into a motor race gonna do my thing i'm a reporter and so i'm gonna uh talk to people and i'm gonna write some words and maybe take some photos do some videos and you know, like i love it it's my passion but i'd be lying if i said every race is just this wide-eyed oh ah, type thing not um y'all prude uh at every single race this year i've And I think the three that I did last year, I've met you and it's been amazing because we're all united through this common passion of ours. You guys are silly enough to listen to my podcast and whatever else that I do, but just getting to meet you and getting to know you, getting to meet Gavin Newton, little Gav and learn a little bit about him and have him help me with a, uh, do the, the, the poster and what turned out to be the intro slate for the, the Jimmy Johnson and Rick Mears video. And like, how cool. Um, uh, Cassie Johnston is the one who told me months ago to reach out to Gavin if I had any graphic design needs. And all of a sudden I had one and thanks to Cassie member of the Prue day. And like, Super smart and influential and just all the awesome things. I got to meet her and her husband uh, on Gasoline Alley. And it was the coolest darn thing because I have so much love and respect for fans of this sport who give, right? Aren't the takers who are always complaining and whining and sniveling about everything, but give contribute make it better whether it's something that takes a lot of time to do or just a little tweet that's funny or or adds something that is warm or positive or silly but just adds like that's the thing that i love so i appreciate you ben saying thanks for taking time to meet with y'all but it's really the other way around where getting to meet y'all is the huge privilege for me it's something that adds energy and warmth and, and newness to something now uh, that I've been doing for 33, 34 years, whatever the number is, like y'all just bring so much life and energy and it's sustaining. And it's not something I ever really anticipated having. Um, this amazing group um, of folks who who love the sport and come together through listening to this. So I just, honestly, wherever I go, I want to meet as many of y'all as possible. And it might not happen this year, it might happen the next year, but whatever it is, uh, it truly, y'all just bring so much to what I do. And I'm so thankful to y'all for it. Uh, Michael Miller said, did you get anything cool from the memorabilia show? That place is heaven on earth. Um, I did. About half of what I bought were for others and for friends. So I got this amazing Porsche, 1990 Porsche Indy jacket. Unfortunately, it's size small. And I don't know if you've seen a photo of me, y'all. I'm not a size small. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, you could stack them. You could get five of those things and, and tape them together, and it still wouldn't fit. But anyways, uh, bought that for my friend Patrick Long, who got to drive one of those uh, 1990 March Porsches. Uh, So I got that for him. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to fit him, though. And if it doesn't, I might just frame it. I don't know. We'll see. Got some cool uh, Chevy slash Ilmore uh, plates. The ones that were used back in the 80s and 90s to cover over um, on the cam cover to cover over the spark plug leads. Uh, Bought a whole box of those. And so got some of those from my friends at Chevy and Ilmore that I'll uh, hand off. Keep some for myself too. I got this amazing Matsushta jacket. Uh, it's, um, oh, that thing is so dope. Um, got a Primus Racing members only jacket from my friend, Chris Neifel. Uh, that being for the car, last car, this team of his last car to qualify for the Indy, for the Indy 500 below 200 miles an hour. It sits in the basement, the IMS Museum, for that very reason. Uh, this unique record that it holds. So I found a frickin' Primus jacket. I sent Nifel a photo of it. He didn't respond, but that's not, that's not uncommon. <coughs> Last thing I found were some really cool uh, old press kits. The best of them. So a person that had this stack of 1979 Janet Guthrie press kits. And I saw that there were five of them. And he had a little post-it note in front with a dollar amount on it, but it was scribbled pretty hard, and I couldn't figure it out. So as a collector of motor racing press kits, I'm like, these, this is a treasure. I mean, where do you find one of these, much less five? That wasn't Janet's first time at the Speedway, but still, it was kind of the, the maybe the um, one of the more famous And so I asked the guy how much they were. And I thought the number that he'd written down was 20. And he said they were $2 a piece. And I'm like, two? Here's a $10 bill, thank you. And grabbed all five of them. Because what? Amazing. And inside of them, photos and just everything, just opulence. So um, I bought all five. I texted my pal, Beth Peretta, and said, hey, uh, I don't know where you're going to be Sunday morning, but I got some for you. And I knew that she was with Simona as well. So I took two of those five with me and uh, happened to see both Simona and Beth together, which was awesome. So I hadn't seen Simona in years, right? Keep in mind, I wasn't here last year, uh, but gave her a big hug as well and gave those to my two pals. And uh, cause I mean, as two women kicking ass and, Um, making history today. Uh, I know how much they respect Miss Guthrie. So anyways, gave those to them. Uh, Angela, who runs the uh, IMS uh, Media Center now, I know she's a big collector of memorabilia, so I'm going to send her one, and then I'll keep the other two. And then I found some other ones that were just awesome. So when I get home, I'll take some more photos. So thanks, Michael. And can you tell? I could talk about this stuff all day long because I'm a total nerd. But it was also great to see uh, some of you Nathan DeRover, I met you for the first time there. Adam Schrak, who runs the awesome Elite IndyCar Facebook page, finally got to meet Adam in person. And then our pals, torontomotorsports.com, were were there in the corner. Uh, Derek Koska and the delightful Roger Work, so spend some time with them as well. Harisha uh, Deshpon, how you doing, Harishi? He says, MP, great to be back to the 500 after two-year hiatus. You mentioned at the end of your racer piece but it's once again noticeably difficult to pass if you weren't first or second in a line. What are some of the things IndyCar should look at era-wise to improve passing deeper in the pack? Front wing, new front wing design. They know they need it. Sorry, I'm drinking more of my uh, large bottle of water here with an emergency in it. Um, they need a new front wing. They need a new, bigger, more powerful front wing. Um when the front of your car is getting chucked around by the turbulence on the vehicle from the vehicle in front or the vehicles in front the only thing that's going to give you confidence to try and pass is knowing that you have more than adequate front down force to make that pass happen uh, and so this is a thing they've known this is a thing they've spoken about our frontino belly who just may be listening indycar's director of aerodynamic development Uh, This is something they know, and it's something that they want to do. Um, As I wrote what you're referencing there in Racer Hrishi in the Indies back column that I did, they've been swinging at this slowly and progressively, and it's time to just make that big swing. I don't know if this is going to solve the problem altogether, but I do know that chipping away at the problem is not solving the problem. So... That would be my recommendation, Uh, and who knows, maybe Tino, I I mean, I'm sure Tino has some uh, perfect ideas of how to fix things, so I just hope that the series will take this seriously enough to say, let's do something. Let's really, really do something. Uh, Neil Doiker, how you doing, Neil? And I hope I didn't just murder your last name, but as I often do, sometimes I murder things. Um, MP, simple question. What's been off with RLL? They haven't lived up to expectations so far this year. Um, You mentioned you pray pray for my wife as well. Thank you, Neil. Yeah, I talk about taking swings. Swing and a miss by me. I thought RLL was going to come out with their new three-car program, new engineers in place. Uh, I really thought they were going to come out strong from the beginning. 1,000% wrong. you have Lundgaard, who's still learning. You have Jack Harvey, who's told me, hey, uh, just going from one team to the other doesn't mean that the new team's approach to setup is something that a driver just masters instantly. He's learning and trying to adapt. I think they're also trying to adapt the car more to him instead of him having to adapt to their approach. I think the engineering group is also just taking a little while longer to gel. Uh, so, yeah. I've been very surprised. Um, I've been very surprised at how adrift they are not crazy adrift, but just, uh, I really did think they were going to be better than they are. Uh, last couple of questions here, y'all. And then we're going to say farewell. Uh, Michael Brennan says, Marshall, great to see you back at the speed of this year. I have a question for you. It's not about a car on track. Thank you, Michael. Just got home to watch the rebroadcast on Peacock and I see Steve Shunk on NBC. Is he the new historian? Will he be on TV more? And he said, Thank you for great peeks behind the curtains this month. I would love if Steve Shunk was on TV more. He has a phenomenal grasp of IndyCar, Indy 500 history. Probably starts tapering off by the late eighties, early nineties. Um, but yes, uh, Steve, when I have a question about something about, Hey, back in 73 and you know, at at Pocono, did Gordy do this or that? Uh, shunks my guy. Uh, he was also Miller's guy too. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't think Steve really likes being on camera too much, but I I sure wish IndyCar, I sure wish NBC would reach out and say, hey, how can we do more stuff with you? Because he's so good. And uh, I just appreciate Steve immensely. Uh, Maddie McDonald, any word on what caused Sage's crash? Does the uh, broadcast didn't discuss the details at all or even show a replay of it? I don't know. I called Sage yesterday just to see how he's doing. And I guess also try and find out a little bit about what happened too, because I happen to be, um, I happen to be, I forget where, but I didn't exactly see what happened as well. I saw, I think a quick little replay uh, on one of the, you know, video boards outside, but I didn't really get a chance to see much more than that. So Uh, And I'm also struggling to find press release from his team. So, yeah, my ignorance, I do need to hopefully, I'll try him again. Uh, Hopefully he's doing okay. Maybe I'll find out a little bit more. Uh, Austin Sutton, is Colton's bid for a super license this year over with his unfortunate Indy 500 race? I don't know. I don't know, Austin, what uh, the ultimate testing plans are going to be on the McLaren side and what opportunities there might be for him to uh, rack up some points doing that. Um, Don Gregory, got to say, as much of a Jimmy Johnson fan as I am, he simply doesn't deserve the Rookie of the Year honors. Seems a little bit of a PR move to me. What says you, MP? Yeah, uh, spoken about this, written about this a bit, Don, so I don't mind rehashing it quickly, but yes. So what happens is the Speedway sends, it used to be an actual paper thing, fill out the ballot, but uh, they have just sent an email for the last however many years to whatever number of us in the media to vote on Rookie of the Year. Um, I did notice in this year's email, there was all these other criterias and provisos and whatnot. It's not just about how they finished in the race. It's how they presented themselves and what they did on social media and fan outreach and who bakes the best lasagna and just all bunch of BS, Don. Now, if that's been there the last couple of years, I haven't been at the race, so I haven't seen it. But um, I don't know how this got away from being a merit-based award on the Indy 500 motor race. Uh, reading the definition of it, You, they want you to take all kinds of other things into account, and if you took all those things into account, it'd be really easy to give it to Jimmy Johnson. And I like Jimmy; like I truly, I really like the guy. He did not deserve to win the Indy 500 Rookie of the Year. If you crash out of the Indy 500, I think that should become an automatic disqualifier. Um, If you fail to finish the Indy 500, that could mean a motor blew up, gearbox snapped in half, whatever. If you fail to finish the Indy 500, you should be disqualified. You should be removed from the running for Rookie of the Year because if you're going to be voted as the best rookie of the year at the Indianapolis 500, I don't think you can fail to finish the Indy 500. I don't think your vehicle can fail to be running at the end of the Indy 500 to even receive one vote. And so terrible. I am so embarrassed by my fellow members of the media who just put no thought into it. I actually care about this stuff because it's actually kind of cool that, Hey, someone really did the work and should win an award since they offer an award. Um, I voted for David Malukas, uh, made sure that in my response, I made it plain that for the effort he put in in the race and the result, plus all the other criteria, he also, I would say, uh, is at the top of the list or the top one or two. Um, Anyways, none of that really mattered. Uh, Last question of the episode. Uh, It's a little bit of a technical one from uh, Jorge the Talking Goat. From Reddit. <laughs> I love Reddit. <sighs> during the race, there was a ton of discussion about in-car tools, weight jackers and whatnot, pit stop adjustments, front wing, for example. But some cars were just bad all race. But what percentage of a car is adjustable once a race begins? So if a car is evil during the first 50 laps of the 500 how likely is the driver or the crew to get it to a spot where they can win? seems like for the most part, you can get a pretty good read on how the field will be sorted by somewhere between lap 50 to 100. I would say from lap 15 to 30 uh, is where you're going to see it. And you get a couple things going on. So every team tries to perfect tire pressure to start the race. Well, there's a guess. Right, There's no guarantee exactly how much the tire is going to inflate and what pressure it's going to hit. So that opening tire pressure setting, it's a guess. It's always a guess. And once you get the information coming across telemetry of what numbers you hit, how many PSI, how many millibar, whatever team measurement, increment, measurement, the team wants to use um and then the driver giving feedback as well and then the wear of those tires something overinflated or underinflated how's it wearing and whatnot that's a, a really big first sign with your tire pressures you will also get a pretty good idea for ride height and whether you have gotten the ride height correct or incorrect Tire pressures are a bit low, car is going to be lower, and that could be problematic. Or if they're a bit too high, the car could be riding too high and you're making less downforce. Um, but you're going to find out pretty quickly uh, about what you've done with the tires. And for that first pit stop, you're going to make a educated adjustment knowing that if you started at, I'm just making up a number 20 PSI on the right front to start the race, and it overinflated. understeer problems, wear problems. Well, you know that for this first pit stop, if you knew that you ended up, and again, I'm just making up a large number to exaggerate, 3 PSI over your target, well, you're going to set that tire 3 PSI below, uh, as it's going on the car for that first pit stop anyways just mentioning this here and i know we're not talking about tools yet but this is just some of the basic stuff where uh, race engineer driver feedback telemetry all these things will go into a decision on tire pressure adjustments if the driver is saying the thing is diabolical and it's trying to swap ends or it won't turn or whatever else team is going to know from the tire information it gets every lap Um, if that's the area where significant problems are being created. Center of pressure, aerodynamic pressure, it's another big area. Did we nail the COP or did we miss the COP? Is this thing, and again, I'm exaggerating, is this thing sitting on the nose, right? Is this thing doing a reverse wheelie because we got so much forward pressure, so much forward downforce? Is the center of pressure pushed too far forward? there's too much loading on the front tires, not enough at the rear. What do we need to do with this next stop? Are we adding rear wing to pull that COP back or are we reducing front wing to send it back? And again, it could be the opposite. The thing could be way too stuck at the rear and you need to move the COP forward. Um, Drivers not able to adjust those things. So everything I have mentioned so far here Jorge the Talking Goat from Reddit. Uh, These are all external adjustments taking place via the crew with wing adjusters or tire uh, specialists making adjustments per the engineer. From there, we start to find out things about spring choices, anti-roll bar choices, and did you go too high too low is the cross weight too high too low um tend not to get any really crazy alignment settings like oh we're going with wacky insane camber on this corner or toe on that corner most teams tend to be pretty not too far away from one another in that area but the springing and damping is definitely a big area of um discernment on whether a car is working or not um Anti-roll bar adjustments, big things. Obviously going to affect the handling significantly. And the weight jacker as well can affect things significantly. But really, truly, if the car is not in the general happy setup window and fast happy setup window, uh, there's only so much those tools in the cockpit. The anti-roll bar adjustments and the weight jacker are going to get you to making a bad car good. So again, you can get the center of pressure right through adjustment at pit stops. You can get the tires right through adjustments at a pit stop. If it's some of the kind of baked in decisions though, springing, damping, anti-roll bar stuff. Um that's a little bit hard ride height again as well. That is something where if you missed on the ride height, you can play that a little bit and fix it a little bit with tire pressure, but not a crazy amount. Otherwise, you're going to make life miserable for the driver. So the last little anecdote I'll mention here is the last time I engineered a race car at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway was 2005. I think it was 2005. In what was then the Infinity Pro Series, what we would call Indy Lights today. And the setup that I had on the car for the race was good, absolutely not great. And so our driver, who was not particularly great, I'll admit I'm forgetting his name, um, he ended ended up having to live on the weight jacker because whatever setup that I came up with was decent, but not excellent by any means. And what I was telling him to do constantly over the good old radio was crank in more weight jacker, crank in more weight jacker, and just trying to get more loading onto the right front tire to give him swifter and more positive turn reaction from the car and I don't remember how many twists and this was a knob not a hydraulic uh, actuation like we have today in IndyCar but this is actual twisting of a knob uh, and that knob itself is uh, through that motion that is what extended the uh, the weight jacker and moved the spring Um, I think there was like 80 twists of the knob and no joke, by the end of the race, we were maxed out. Like, I forget where we started, like 20? <laughs> and like, this guy is basically racing with one hand on the steering wheel and the other one, uh, just twisting and twisting and twisting and twisting. And it helped. It certainly helped. But it just, I always think of that as a, yeah, uh, if you're out the window, you can get yourself, you can get your nose up to the bottom of the window. But, man, you're not going to be standing, like, dead center in the frame. So, yeah, been there. It's not fun. You feel like a failure the whole time. Like, oh, I had so many choices. I made all the wrong ones. And, I mean, this guy's about to bust the knob off the weight jacker, twisting it so much. There's nothing left, buddy. So, anyways. Hey, y'all, thanks so much. For real, thanks so much for everything. Uh, You've sent in this week all the love all month. Like for no joke, it really meant a lot. So many of you just so sweet to me. Uh, And whether it was through social media, sending notes or in person or emails or texts in some cases. So um, just really sweet of y'all. Cannot wait to get home to be with my girl, uh, to be with the monkeys as well and uh, play with them and rub some bellies and get bitten and scratched up. So uh, I've healed up. They've got a fresh canvas to, uh, to mark up, but Thanks, as always, to y'all, to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and Motorsports.com. That email address, once again, is prudayrocks at gmail.com if you want to join the good old Pruday. Uh, Won't be at Detroit, as I mentioned. I think I mentioned it. Uh, But I will be at Road America. So however many of you from the Pruday are going to be at favorite road course in the world, Um, let me know. We'll uh, do a little meetup, do a little something up and have some fun so thanks once again and i'll speak to y'all soon